Church, church, you may be seated. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard, it's challenging to believe that God is good with some of the stuff that goes on in this world. Satan would tempt us to think, just, just like he tempted Adam and Eve, to think that God was holding out on them, that God didn't love them, that God didn't care about them. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel like God has left us behind and uh, God doesn't care about us. He's not moving on our behalf. But I just want to remind you this morning that God is good. God is good. And I don't care what we think, how we feel. It's not based on our feelings. It's based on who He is. And He's good. And so we're here this morning to proclaim the goodness of God. We are here to proclaim that we have a loving Father in heaven who cares about us and loves us. Bow your head with me. Let's pray before we begin our sermon today. Father, I just pray that you would speak. Lord, you know I have not felt good this past week, not felt great. And sometimes, God, that makes it a challenge to prepare a sermon and makes a challenge to deliver a sermon. And so I'm just relying on you today. And I know that you're good, so I know that you're going to come through. God, I pray you would prepare our hearts. You would break up any fallow ground that's in our spirits, God. Lord, anything we have within us or without us that would prevent us from hearing the word that you have for us today, God, we go ahead and declare that that is overcome and that your word is going to come forth in power and that people are going to be changed. Lord, we thank you that you are present here and that you are moving, that you love us, that on our worst day, you're still good. I pray you'd speak that truth to us, God, over and over again. And I pray that those of us who know you would not be shy about proclaiming who you are. The world is perfectly willing to go hard for the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we ought to be willing to go hard for you. And I pray that's what would happen, God, that we would be bold for you, Lord, that you would give us something today that when we leave this place, it would be something we could use to better our lives and the lives of people around us, but most of all, to point people to heaven. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus and all that he means to us. It's in his name we pray all this, and Rushwood said together, amen. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us. I don't know if you're like me on those uh, on times when we have a time change, man. I, it just it feels like everything is a little bit off, but I just believe God will help us to overcome that, to hear what he has for us this morning. And I think that God wants to bless us uh, here today. I've got on my notes to tell you something good. You know, there's a lot I've not seen probably in the time that I've been pastoring and maybe it's because I've been dealing with something physical too, but uh, it just seems like Satan is attacking the church, and this is not a good thing, but it seems like Satan is attacking the church in the area of physical right now. I've known a lot of, uh, I've known a lot of people who are sick, a lot of pastors. There's a pastor in our prayer group that had to be hospitalized um, with an issue going on. It just seems like a lot of things are going on in the physical, and this coronavirus thing that's out there, um, let me encourage you on that. Do not be afraid, okay? I'm not saying it's not a serious thing. I'm not saying it's something that we shouldn't be concerned about, 
but do not be afraid because we have a God in heaven that's working on our behalf. And I said on my Facebook this week, if you follow me on there, I said, look, I'm probably not going to catch that. And if I do catch that, I'm probably not going to die from it. And if I do die from it, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus, which is better than this world anyway. So I'm not going to be afraid of things like that. Do not, do not let that sort of thing dominate your life. Fear is not from God. Fear is from Satan, okay? So I just wanted to give you that this morning. and So I see a lot of that going on. But one of the things I see that's good that's going on right now is I believe God is trying to bring his church together in unity. He's trying to bring his people, and I, I, there's a, Satan is also fighting that because you know how we are as Christians. We can separate and we can group up over anything from the color of the carpet to pews versus chairs, just to all sorts of silly things that we really, if, we're, if a house is divided against itself, what did Jesus say? It's going to fall. It can't stand. But if we're unified in the power of the Spirit, we can do great things. And so I've just been seeing that lately of God is breaking down denominational walls. He's breaking down walls of worship preference and things like that. So that his church, the body of Christ, can come together and be what it's meant to be in this world. And I know you've probably seen evidence of Satan fighting against that. But where Satan, where Satan gets afraid, he starts to fight in an area. And I believe he's fighting against unity, but, but I believe God is pulling his people together. Um, there's coming very soon a crusade, a, uh, a tent revival to Asheboro um, that's coming in just a few weeks. And I want you to be in prayer about that. We'll give you more information about that. And it's not in anybody that's part of our network of churches or anybody like that, okay? But it's, it's Christians who are going to be preaching the truth of the gospel. And so we want to pray for that and we want to support that and we want to encourage you to go to that. But more than that, we'd like to encourage you to maybe take somebody along to that um, that doesn't know Jesus. That's where revival happens is where we start to, when the church gets revived and when we start to see new people added to the church. And so we've already given you out a few weeks ago a little postcard on that to tell you more about that Ignite event that is coming to Ashburn. But be in prayer about that as churches are coming together in this area to see the kingdom of God move forward. And I, I've been telling you I believe God's bringing revival to this area I still believe that, so I want you to be in prayer about that and, and what God is doing as he brings his church together. And that's good. Unity is good. Coming together for the cause of Jesus is good. Amen? Amen. Now, if y'all dead today, I'm going to preach long. So y'all might as well go ahead and be alive with me and give me some feedback and everything, okay? I've got a shorter sermon if you seem to get it and a longer sermon if you seem not to be getting it. So do you think you're going to get it today? Amen. All right. So uh, let's work together this morning talking about unity. All right. We are continuing our series. Our series is called Rescue Story. And here's the big idea of this series. In nine sermons time, I want to give you just an overview of what God did to redeem a people out of this broken and fallen world. I'm going to give you the big story of the gospel, uh, kind of big sections on that over the next little while. And so we're answering the question, the big question that we're answering is, what did God do in the history of planet Earth to save a people for himself? What did God do in the history of planet Earth to save a people for himself? Last week we talked about creation. We talked about how God created the heavens 
and the earth. We talked about how it's not the most important thing, how many literal hours were in that creation or exactly how that all worked out. It's interesting to talk about. It may be worthwhile somewhat to talk about that. It's not worth dividing over how we think that happened. The main point is that God created the heavens and the earth. He did it. He spoke it into existence. It was him and no one else. He's the one that made everything. And when he made everything, it was good. And when we read that story in Genesis, we see that God creates things and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then God creates mankind and then he says, it's very good. The reason for that is because we're God's image bearers in this earth. We are supposed to be a little mirror that reflects the glory of God. That's your role. That's your ultimate purpose. You may be living that or you may be not living that right now, but you were created to glorify God. You were created to reflect who he is and his image and his glory. So uh, to the degree you're doing that, it's, are you righteous before God or not? If you're really reflecting his glory, then you're living a righteous life before him. And if you're not reflecting his glory, you're not even fulfilling the purpose that he gave you when he created this world. So he creates everything and he says that it's very good. But then we talked about an enemy that came in and tempted God's people. Adam and Eve, who were the first image bearers on this earth, tempted them to sin. They fell into sin. The world was broken. Death entered this world for humankind. Sin entered this world. And things start to deteriorate. Things start to fall apart. Guys, that's how it is in our lives. When God gives us, God doesn't give us rules. God doesn't give us ways to live, to be harsh to us. God gives us those things so that we might live a fruitful and good life. He gives us borders. He gives us boundaries. He gives us things uh, for us to put into our lives so we can live a good life. And when we go away from those, things start to fall apart. When you get away from the design that the, the designer made things start to not work right. Is this on? Yeah, are y'all with me this morning? Okay, when we don't do things right, when we're not following his ways, things deteriorate, things fall apart, things start to break down. And so in the book of Genesis, today we're looking at chapters 4, a little bit from 6 to 9, and then 11. We're going to look at three different stories that show how things started to fall apart after sin entered this world. Here's a quote that I found that I like that kind of sums up where we're going with this sermon this morning. It's from a guy named Gary Smalley. He's a family counselor, family expert. And the quote is this, Life is relationships, the rest is just details. Life is relationships, the rest is just details. And these stories here that are in the beginning of Genesis, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, a good while after the events happened. But as Moses wrote, these book, uh, wrote this part of the book, as he wrote these stories down, they're about relationships and the broken relationships that entered this world because of sin, because we went our own way, because we went away from the design that God had put in this world. The book of Genesis tells us when Adam and Eve sinned, some stuff broke in this world. Women received pain in childbearing. Women receive pain in childbearing. Something that's a, a beautiful, wonderful thing that brings life into this world became a painful thing that was cursed in that way. 
It tells us, and ladies don't get mad, it's just, I'm just delivering the mail, I didn't write it, but it tells us in the book of Genesis that men began to rule over women. Husbands began to rule over wives. You can debate whether that was a good thing or not, it's what happened there in the garden according to the book of Genesis. The very earth turned against mankind. Thorns and thistles grew up. Okay, the, the earth that, that was supposed to be subdued by mankind instead came against mankind and made it hard for mankind to live in this world. Farming became necessary for food. We weren't going to be able to just eat of the fruit of the trees. We're actually going to have to do more than that. So labor became part, intense labor became part of the way that we uh, fed ourselves, part of the way that we provided for ourselves. And then ultimately, of course, the biggest part of the curse is death entered the picture from mankind. So some things broke right off the bat. When we didn't listen to God, when Eve ate of the tree, and then when she gave the fruit to Adam and they both sinned, things broke immediately. And that's just in Genesis 3. Then in the chapters that follow, we see how not only the earth and our bodies became broken, but our relationships did as well. Our relationships became broken because of sin. Sin broke the way that we interact with each other. And so this morning I'm going to give you three stories. They show you three different ways our relationships were broken. And then I'm going to try to give you a solution where we can come back closer to the way that things were meant to be, the way that God had originally intended. So the first part we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 4. It tells the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15 says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's interesting that in the Bible, blood oftentimes is pictured as having a voice. That blood has a voice. And I just think about some of the atrocities that we have committed as people in, in this nation and around the world. And I think, doesn't the blood cry out from the ground to God for justice? Doesn't the blood cry out from, from the ground for God to, to redeem and do what's right and to punish the evildoer. So Abel's blood cries out from the ground and then it says, Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, 
which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the, land, from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So this is the first case of sibling rivalry that we see in the Bible. It won't be the last. That dominates a lot of the Old Testament. We see sibling rivalry, and a lot of times that actually moves the story forward. But this is the first case of sibling rivalry that's mentioned. I always tell people I've never had a single fight with any of my brothers or sisters because I didn't have any. Um, but I have four kids, and I see where this thing comes in. I see where the conflict can come in among brothers and sisters. The story is basically this. Cain brings some fruits and veggies as an offering to God. He says, okay, God, here's some of, my, some of the stuff I've been growing. I'm going to offer it to you. But Abel, who is his younger brother, brings the best of the firstborn of his flocks. He brings the very best of the animals that he has been shepherding as an offering, as a sacrifice. Remember last week we talked about how Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned, realized that they were naked, they were ashamed of their, of their nakedness, or, or maybe naked. You know the difference between naked and naked? Naked means you're not wearing clothes. Naked means you're not wearing clothes and you're up to no good. That's the, that's the difference in those two. Also, probably northern and southern would be part of that. That, that was funnier than you guys thought. Y'all y'all been asleep for like two weeks. Y'all got to wake up. So Abel brings the firstborn of his flocks. He brings, because as we were talking, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a covering for sin. Something had to die. Blood had to be shed to cover sin. And so Abel brings these animals and sacrifices them before the Lord. And God accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's offering. Now a lot of theologians will tell you it's because Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain brought just a fruit, vegetable, that type of sacrifice. And God was more pleased because Abel had brought a blood sacrifice. Maybe that's part of it. I mean, that might be legitimate. But I think if we really read the text, it looks like that Cain just kind of brought whatever. Whatever fruit, whatever, whatever had grown, you know, just some of his stuff. Okay, God, I'll give you some of this stuff. But when Abel brought his offering, Abel brought his very best. This morning, you may be wondering why you're not getting God's best. Why it seems like you don't have a close relationship with him. Why it seems like other people talk about being, you know, filled with the Spirit and, and enjoying worshiping God and blessed when they pray. And it just seems like, it just seems like you, everybody else is getting something good from God, but you're not getting God's best. It could be that you're not giving God your best. That could be the difference. It could be that you're bringing things that aren't your very best. You're not offering everything to Him. You're, you're giving Him something. You know, you give Him Sunday morning, maybe once in a while, Wednesday night. Hey, you might even put a Bible verse on Facebook every once in a while. You know, you're, you're giving him something, but are you giving him your best? 
Are you giving him your all? I think that makes a difference with God. He wants our all. He wants all of us. He's a jealous God. He wants everything that we have to offer. And he can bless it once we give him our very best. And so that may have been a major difference here. But the point I really want to get to you this morning is in one chapter, we've gone from a perfect, beautiful, peaceful garden to murder out in an open field. Everything has changed. Sin, that's what sin does. Sin enters the world, and we've gone from perfection to murder, to just murder out in the open, not even ashamed of it. From rivers of flowing water in the Garden of Eden, we've gone to a river of flowing blood in this field. We've gone from mankind being the representatives of God on earth to a man killing a member of his own family. In fact, killing his little brother, one that he should have been there to protect, one that he should have, we're seeing kind of the pattern of Adam. Adam should have been there to protect Eve. Cain should have been there to protect his little brother Abel. We're seeing this sin come into these generations and wreak havoc. Why is this? It's because sin breaks our relationship with other individuals. Sin breaks our relationship with other individuals. Let me add a little poll this morning. Can we be honest this morning? Can we be confessional? Can we be forthright about things? A little poll this morning. How many of you, by raising your hand, will admit that there are some people you know that get on your nerves? Anybody willing to admit? The rest of y'all lying, okay? <laughs> we all know some people who get on our nerves. There are some people you see them and you go the other way, right? If you, could avo you avoid them if you can. All right, how, let's be honest. Let's continue to be honest. Let's continue to tell the truth this morning. How many of you will admit that sometimes you just rather not be around other people? <laughs> you just rather be by yourself. Okay, thank you for your honesty this morning. Number three, there's only five, okay. I'm sorry, only four, only four. Uh, how many of you will admit that you've had people who were close friends but you had a falling out, and now you don't even speak. Anybody had that? Anybody had somebody that was a close friend, and now you don't even speak to them? How many of you, number four, last one, how many of you will admit that it's hard to love other people? It's hard sometimes to love other people. Hey, me too. I, I wasn't raising my hand just for a demo. Y'all put your hand down now. You're okay. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't raising my hand just for a demonstration. Now, I'm, I'm the pastor of this church, but it's hard sometimes for me to love other people, to love certain people. Sometimes it's not the easiest thing in the world to do what God would call me to do. We have weak relationships. We have fragile relationships as human beings, and it stems from this fall. It stems from this problem that goes all the way back to the garden. One of my favorite Christian songwriters, a guy named Rich Mullins, wrote this. He said, well, it took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters of the sea, but it only took one little lie to separate you and me. Oh, we are not as strong as we think we are. And they say that one day Joshua, he made the sun stand still in the sky, but I can't even keep these thoughts of you from passing by. Oh, we are not as strong as we think we are. We are frail, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, but choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these, our hells and our heavens, so few inches apart, 
we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. How many of you had a friend and you said, I'll be your friend the rest of my life. We'll always be friends, we'll always be close, but it didn't happen. Something happened. A lie was told, uh, uh, the wrong word said at the wrong time, and it separated a friendship or it separated family members. I think it's one of the tr most tragic things when family members aren't speaking to each other. Can't, people who, who are supposed to love each other the best can't even stand to be around each other. But we see it time and time again because we're awfully small and we're not as strong as we think we are. We're born, with, we're born with a sin nature. We're born being selfish. We're born wanting our own way. And sometimes this causes problems in these interpersonal relationships. When Adam and Eve sinned, we lost our strength to love each other the right way. And our individual relationships suffered. It was a big part of the fall. It was one of the things that happened when mankind entered into sin. And so interpersonal relationships were broken. But that's not all. Even worse than interpersonal relationships having problems with other people, sin also breaks our relationship with God. Breaks our relationship with God. It's not that He's not still there loving us. It's not that He's still drawing, not, not still drawing us. I talked about this in our membership class the other night. I believe in a concept called provenient grace. And what provenient grace means is even when you don't know God, even when you're not acting like you know him, even when you're doing your own thing and running in rebellion against him, he's still reaching out to you. There's still a grace he's given you that goes before. Look, when you wake up, when you wake up and you look out at a beautiful sunrise in the morning, you know God has provided for that for those of us who know him and love him, and he's also provided that for those who don't know him. He's communicating with them. He's saying, I'm here. He's saying there's something more. That's a form of provenient grace. The Holy Spirit working and drawing. How many of you before you were saved, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but just think about this. How many of you before you were saved, God kept putting people in your path who kept saying maybe just a word or a phrase or just something that kept directing you back to God? I remember one gentleman who was in our church for a while talked about he was out jogging one day. He was just out jogging for his health, which I should do that more than I do, but kudos to him for doing that. But he said he was out jogging, and he came by this church, and as he looked up at the steeple and as the sky, as I think the sun was setting or there was a beautiful sky, he said as he looked up at the steeple and saw the sky and saw the steeple here at this church, he knew he had to come to church. He knew he had to get his life right. That was God's provenient grace. God working on him, God drawing him before he was in relationship with God. So in a but in a real sense even though God is still working on us, we have a broken relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be as we are in our natural state before we're saved. We have this broken relationship with him. Genesis chapter 6 tells this big story and I'm just going to have to really hit the highlights of the story because it's such a big story, but it tells the story of Noah and the flood. Noah and the flood. And we make that into kind of like, you know, a little kid's story. And we have the boat with the little cartoon animals hanging off the side. And it's all cutesy. And we put it in our nurseries and all that. And really it's a story about most of mankind being killed. That's really what the story is about. It's a real serious story in the Bible. And I don't know, we've kind of cutened it up and all this. Is that a word, cutened? But anyway, we've, we've done that. 
But here's, this is the story. You may only know the Sunday school version of the story. If you only know the Sunday school version, the, the kind of cutened up version of the story, you need to buckle up because it's pretty intense. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God... We'll stop right there. There's argument about what that is, sons of God. We're not talking about a son of God like Jesus is the son of God. Probably what we're talking about are divine created beings. These are angelic type beings that God had created. Possibly even the council of God in heaven. They saw the daughters of men were beautiful. And when they took wives of, uh, for themselves, and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose then the Lord said my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh nevertheless his day shall be 120 years interesting the oldest people we have even today with all the modern technology and medicine all of that the oldest people that we have on this earth today are usually in their 120s usually that's about the peak you can reach as far as life on this earth. And then it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Okay, so what we're thinking there, what we, what we believe happened there is these angelic divine type beings actually mated with human women and there were these hybrid almost things born that were giants in the land, strong men, powerful men, men of renown. So these, these beings were not keeping their place. They were not doing what God had created them for, but were actually mixing with humanity. The, and it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad there was one person who could find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Otherwise, this whole place would have been wiped out. I think God may have started again somewhere else, but he would have wiped out this entire earth. I mean, can you imagine how wicked those days were? I know we have some wicked days, and there are things going on in our world, our culture, our society that I never thought I would live to see happen. I know there's a lot of wickedness out there, but to imagine how wicked it had to be for God to say, I'm sorry I even made man. That's how bad it can get. And I believe before the end, that's how bad it's going to get again. I'm not sure. But we always talk about, are we living in the last days? Well, yes, we're living in the last days. The Bible teaches us really clearly that the last days began with the resurrection of Jesus. So for sure we're living in the last days. But I believe we're living in the last part of the last days. But I also believe that it's going to get a lot worse Okay, I think as bad as it is right now, I believe things are going to get worse. And we see from this scripture how bad that it can get. And so these Nephilim, this mixed bloodline, these human-like giants are on the earth. And that's just one sign of how bad things have gotten. 
And so then Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. In other words, God says... I'm wiping this out. I'm why it's too wicked. It's too evil. I can't. I can't work with all this. I'm going to have to start with a, a small group and work with that because everything is so wicked. Genesis chapter seven and verse one says, "Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time." If you ever go, Ken Ham, who is a, a, a Christian apologist built a, a full-scale ark in Kentucky. I've been to it. Anybody else been to that? Anybody visited the ark? Okay. One of the absolute neat things about that ark, and there's a lot of neat things about it, but when you go by the door of the ark, if you're not, if you're not looking careful, you won't notice it, but when you go by the door of the ark, you'll actually see in light there's a little cross projected on it because the cross is our way from salvation from the ultimate destruction of this world at that time the ark was their salvation the door of the ark was their salvation of Noah's family from being destroyed with the rest of the world Genesis 7:17 says then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth Genesis 7:21 through 22 all flesh that moved on the earth perished birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land all in whose nostrils the breath of the spirit of life died God had to wipe this world out and start again because things got so bad so quick after sin entered this world sin will do the same thing to your life Sin will do the same thing to your life. It'll make it something where, and I, I know that there's always hope. I preach there's always hope. I preach that God is always, uh, at least for most of our life, is drawing us and trying to draw us toward repentance. But sin can get you to such a place where you won't repent. You won't turn around. You won't come to God, and you're doomed. You're lost. And that's how the earth was at this time. Humanity survived because of one man. And it broke our it shows sin had broken our relationship with God. How many of you notice how much? Again, some more confession. You don't have to raise your hand if you want to. You can. But do you know how? Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to scroll through social media than it is to read your Bible? It's a lot easier to look at those posts on that phone than it is to sit there and read God's word. I mean, am I the only one, or is that? true for all of us do you notice how it's easier to get exciting excited at a sporting event than it is during worship on Sunday morning now, I might buy it if you say you know I don't raise my hands you know I know they're singing them songs and but I don't raise my hands and I don't sing because that's just not my personality okay I might buy that but don't when it gets back football season don't go up here to Ashboro High School and yell and scream and make a fool of yourself when you won't worship God at all on Sunday morning. If you're, if you're like that, I don't buy it from you. In fact, you know, that's not my personality either, but he's worthy. 
He's worthy. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to get, take that chance to praise Him. Do you notice how it's easier to talk on the phone with a friend than it is to pray? Talk for hours on the phone with a friend about this and that. And did you hear that? And I can't believe they did this. And talk all day with a friend. But when it's time to pray, man, five, ten minutes. Whew, okay, I'm done. I'm done. All right, God, thanks. Good, good talk. We'll talk later. That can be our attitude. Mm. This one's going to get hit home. Lord, forgive me. No, don't forgive me because it's probably, I probably do need to say this. Do you notice how it's easier to be a proud Republican or Democrat than it is to be a proud follower of Jesus? Election season, let's just be real about it. You posting more about Donald Trump than you are about Jesus? Who, who's more important in your life then? Hey, if I point a finger at you, I got them pointing back at me. I'm just being real this morning. Do you notice how it's easy to sing God is so good until he doesn't give us what we want? Then it gets tough. Then the road gets tough. He, God didn't do what I want. He didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted him to answer that prayer. That's when it's tough to say, but God is still good. I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds here, but we have a gentleman who is... Uh, who's been a part of this church as long as I can remember. And there's certain people at this church that I say Rushwood would not still exist if this person hadn't been part of this church, and this gentleman is one of them. And last week he got a diagnosis, and the doctor said, if things don't change, you have six months to a year to live. And he came into our prayer time this morning, and he said, I've got bad news and I've got good news. He said, the bad news is the doctor has told me I've got six months to a year to live. The good news is I get to see Jesus. Can we pray? When it looks like the bad times, can we still praise him? When we don't get the answer that we want to our prayer, can we still praise Him? When we just don't understand, can we still praise Him? I mean, that's the question. It's so much easier when things are going good. Oh, yeah, God is so good. He's so good to me. You know, we'll sing that day and night. But when we go through the tough times, do we still, can we say like Job, look, I'm not going to curse Him. I'm not going to curse Him. I'm going to praise my Lord. I'm going to praise my Lord. The Polycarp, who was the the great martyr of the Christian church, 86 years old. They lit the fire to, to burn him to death because he would not uh, offer worship to Caesar. And he said, 80 and 6 years I have served him and he has done me nothing but good. How can I not praise my Lord? That's where it's tough to have that attitude. It's so much easier to praise God when he gives us what we want. Well, all of that's because sin broke and still breaks our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Sin messes us up. Sin keeps us from having that full relationship that we're supposed to have with Him. Y'all depressed yet? No, I got, one, I got one more. One more. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. One more story. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. 
And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. They stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The Tower of Babel. This story used to confuse me when I was a kid. Because I had had a little bit of science in school already, and I thought, well, that's crazy. They're trying to build, and in my mind, heaven was up there somewhere in outer space. They're trying to build a tower all the way to God, a tower all the way to heaven. Up in, I thought, well, they're going to suffocate. There's not any oxygen up there. That makes absolutely no, and it just bugged me. And I thought, and then God was worried about that. Surely God knew that that wasn't going to be possible, and they weren't going to be able to do that. And so that just, uh, it just confused me. It just bugged me as a kid. But I learned later that the kind of tower they were building was not when we think of like Empire State Building or something like that, that's what we think of when we think of a tower. That's not what they were building. What they were building was a stepped pyramid. And I, when I was in Israel, we actually saw pictures and evidence of, of these stepped pyramids that they built. And it was just a large temple complex is what they were building. So all these people, even after the flood, even after God had started over, even after God was working with, with, with a, new, a new thing with humanity, even after that, they were building a place of pagan worship to worship other gods. And so they had this step pyramid, and so you would go up different levels in this pyramid, and then when you got to the top level, it had a specific name. And that place was called something like heaven. The word meant something like heaven. So literally, instead of trying to build a tower up into outer space where they thought God was, that's not what they were doing. They were building a place where they could interact with demonic, pagan, satanic, evil spirits. That's what was being built by these people at this place. By the way, the Tower of Babel is where we get Babylon. Babylon, it was in that general area. And so they're trying to worship and go away from God and worship their own gods and not have anything to do with the God of the universe. And so what God is really preventing them from doing here, and by the way, a lot of times we say, well, all the languages of the world trace back to this one moment. Okay, linguists will tell you that's not really true, that everything doesn't come back to this one moment. God's purpose was not to give them different languages. His purpose was to break them up so they wouldn't have this concentrated evil going on. They were trying to start a one-world order, and God was stopping it. Now, at the end of time, we're going to see the same thing happen again. At the end of time, we're going to see a one-world religion emerge. We're going to see a one-world government emerge. It's going to happen all over again, and then God is going to have to come down and stop things again through his son, Jesus Christ. But what he was doing was separating them to break up this one-world religion, this one-world order that was going on. And so the point I wanted to give you here is ultimately sin breaks our relationships with other groups of people. 
breaks our relationship with individuals, breaks our relationship with God, and then breaks our relationship with other groups of people. Over the years, psychologists have proved that just the effects of being in a group cause us to have affinity for our group and animosity for the other group. Just like Carolina and Duke fans. I mean, we all live in the same state. We all, you know, we can be very similar in all kinds of ways, but when it comes that time of year where these two teams are going to play, man, we, I mean, the Lord has helped me. The Lord has helped me. But I used to talk about, man, Duke fans, the most obnoxious people I've ever seen in my life. Can't believe. But they say the same thing about us. They say, man, them Carolina fans are so obnoxious. And I say, man, they whine when they don't get their way. And they say, them Carolina fans whine when they don't get their way. And we, we just get into this whole thing. And it's really over which basketball team, when you were a little kid, did you decide you were going to root for? And which color, light or dark blue, did you decide you were going to root for? But, man, I mean, it gets crazy. I mean, I don't even post about it online anymore, mostly because Duke fans are whiny. And, uh, <laughs> no, nah, j- just kidding, just kidding. But when we feel like we're part of a group, we naturally start to put down and attack the other group. They've been, even done experiments with school children where they divided them up randomly and they gave them a name to their group and maybe it was like the red birds and the hawks and the red birds started to hate the hawks and the hawks started to hate the red birds for no reason other than they were in a group together. Sin did that. Sin did that where we group, we naturally group ourselves up, we naturally, we talk about if you're born down south, you talk about people who came from up north. If you're up north, you talk about people from out west. We group up and we split ourselves up, and it becomes a, a real problem in relationships and loving other people. Sin causes us to hate, can cause us to actually hate people in another group for no good reason. We see that with race. I tell you guys all the time, I'm going to preach it until everybody gets it. How many races are there in the world? One, the human race. The human race. There's really only one. It is a, like I tell you, scientifically, sociologically, that we split ourselves up, but there's one race in this world. It's the human race, and Jesus died for each and every one of us. So how do we hate somebody who looks a little bit different than us or has a different background than us? We can't if we love him and if we know him. But sin tries to split us up like that. And so that's why we have all these infighting. That's why we have racism. That's why we have prejudice. And you guys may, even, even back in the day, you may have heard about in Africa, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and it was, it was crazy. Ethnically, these people were so close, but they killed each other over just slight differences. That's what sin does. Sin divides us. Sin makes us hate people. Sin makes us not love people the way we're supposed to. So what I wanted to get you to get out of this sermon, number one, is sin messed this world up. It messed me up and it messed you up. And we still have the effects of that that we have to overcome. We still have the effects of that that we have to deal with. But I don't want to leave you there because that's not a great point for a Sunday morning that everything's messed up. That's not where I want to leave you. Where I want to leave you this morning is a person came into this world who worked on reversing all that stuff. His name is Jesus Christ. He defeated all of it. And the great news about Jesus is he'll actually take up residence within you. 
If you'll confess your sins, if you'll repent of your sins, and if you'll invite Him to come into your life, if you'll invite Him to be your Savior, if you'll repent and if you will follow Him, He'll come into your life and He'll live His life through you. And Jesus didn't have that separation because there was no sin in Him. He loved other people personally. He loved God perfectly. He was the Son of God and God was His Father. He loved God perfectly. He loved all groups of people. Jesus loved everybody. And if you'll repent of your sins and invite Him in, He'll live and He'll love through you. When Jesus comes into your life, He begins to make you into a person of love. Instead of a person of sin, instead of a person scarred by this fall, He makes you into a loving person. We all confess it's hard for us to love people. It's hard for us sometimes to like people. It's hard for us sometimes to want to be around people. But Jesus can help us with that. Maybe you've got in your life right now, maybe you've got a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's somebody that used to be a friend, you used, used to be close with this person, but something happened and, and something uh, split you guys up and so you've got animosity now. Jesus came to reconcile that sort of thing. Jesus came to restore that sort of thing. And through love, that can happen. Maybe you've got a family right now, a family that's not together. Maybe you've got a, a son or a daughter or somebody that you're estranged from because of something that happened in the past. The good news is, and I, I understand it takes two. I understand that both sides have to work together somewhat. But Jesus can live love through you in such a way that he can start to heal and mend those broken relationships. Sometimes it takes a lot of prayer, sometimes it takes a lot of time, but he can do that for you. Maybe you've got animosity towards certain groups of people. I know I kind of made light of that with the whole basketball thing, but some people really have a problem with other groups of people. Maybe you've got a prejudice in your life. Maybe if we're just real, maybe you've got some racism in your life. Maybe, you've got, uh, maybe you feel superior to certain people. Jesus can help you with that as well. Jesus was the God of heaven, but he humbled himself and he became like us so that we could love other people. Jesus is working to bring everything back together. Jesus is working to restore this world. And he's working to make us a loving, loving people, make you a loving person. Sometimes I struggle with that, y'all. I've got to be honest. Sometimes I struggle with that. I'm a person who can get hurt. I'm a person that can get my feelings wounded sometimes. Sometimes I struggle to love other people. Sometimes somebody might say something to me and they don't even mean it. And I take it the wrong way and just Satan gets in there and I just run with that. And God has to help me and I have to say, God, let me put that in your hands. I need to love people better. This morning we're going to sing one last song. And I don't know where you are as far as relationships go. If, if your relationship with God is broken, you for sure need to come pray about it. Because Jesus, he, he comes to mend that. He comes to fix that. If your relationship with God is broken, I invite you to come pray about that. If you've got broken relationships with friends or family member or, uh, members, or maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's an acquaintance, whatever. If you've got a broken relationship that you need to see some restoration happen, maybe you ought to come pray about that. If you've got hate in your heart toward any group of people, maybe you, you, you need to come pray about that. You need to get that right. We're supposed to be the examples of Jesus' love, and we can't do that if we feel that way about people. So I'm going to invite you this morning as our worship team sings this last song, come, pray, meet with God. If you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, come and do that. If you need to come and pray about relationships that are broken, come and do that. If you 
need to come and pray about your attitude with, with, with whatever. Come and, come and do that. Come and seek Him. He can do so much more than I could do. You can come to me for counseling 30, 40 times, and it won't do what God can do in an instant if you'll come and you'll put your life in His hands and if you'll trust Him in this area. Let's stand together this morning. Come and pray. Won't you come and pray?
Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, I pray for those who came forward to pray that um, you would work in some area of their lives. God, that you would break down walls that may have been built up, that you would bring reconciliation, that you would bring healing. Because that's what you're about. I pray that you would work in their lives. And God, I'm sure that there are those who did not step forward this morning but are dealing with similar issues. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with them as well. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for meeting with us this morning. Help us to live a holy life before you this week, God. Help us to love you and help us to love others with all our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night. We'll see you next Sunday morning.